You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. How's everybody doing today? Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend and your week is going as smooth as humanly possible right now. Uh, I'm going to keep this short, and uh, I want to start talking a little bit about today's podcast. It is, It always intrigues me to learn how other people hunt from different parts of the country, and today we are going to be talking with a guy who hunts in South Texas. Now, they do things completely different down south, just like they do in different parts of the, you know, every, every place you hunt is different. And uh, today we're going to be t- talking with Thomas Hyduke, and he's going to tell us about a piece of property in South Texas that he hunts, and particularly a story about a gigantic whitetail that uh, he ended up hunting and harvesting when the season was just about over, just when uh, everyone was ready to call it quits. This big boy showed up, and uh, you're going to have to go visit the website to take a look at the the pictures. But an awesome, awesome buck down in South Texas. He's going to explain on this podcast a little bit about how they hunt this piece of property. Um, and that's the stuff that intrigues me because I've never been to Texas to hunt. And uh, the deer hunting down there is different, just like it is in Iowa, just like it is in Florida or Georgia or uh, the Northeast or anywhere out West even. So we're going to talk with Thomas today and he's going to fill us in on a little bit about how they hunt in Texas and then get into the story of this gigantic buck that they ended up harvesting. But before we get into today's podcast, I talked with Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras and had him talk about black flash no glow with their trail cameras and what that's all about so no glow black flash essentially these are just marketing terms and what they really stand for is the ir spectrum um you know we all are kind of familiar with infrared cameras we get those black and white pictures at night some of us aren't excited about them but um you know what they were designed for is to, to spook less game and essentially what the red flash cameras are is what we call 850 NM on the IR scale. So that's right at the peak of where human um, sight is able to pick up. Black flash or no glow cameras are at about 940 NM on the IR scale, which is essentially out of our realm or our spectrum of sight. Um, So what happens is we are unable to pick up those wavelengths past a few feet. And I think some people can see them pretty close up. But, you know, if you were walking... Uh, through the woods at night and a, and a black flash or no glow camera went off, you know, a few feet away, you probably wouldn't notice it. It's just that it's that hard to pick up. Why you should care about that is actually pretty interesting. If you like to hunt mature deer and you're in the mature deer, you should probably care. And the reason why is, you know, when we were developing the Exodus lift, our debut camera, and we were kind of putting Exodus together, uh, we got about 5 million pictures during the development process. And we were actually working on a black flash and a red flash camera at the same time. And through all of our testing and those millions of pictures, we actually have data that shows that we got about 33 
or 34, between 33 and 34 percent more more pictures of mature bucks with the black flash cameras than we did with the red flash cameras. So, you know, it's an age old debate whether flashes spook deer or not. And I'm here to tell you that they do. Black flash is not a, an exception to that, but it spooks a lot less deer um, when we look at the black flash versus the red flash. And for me and the way that I hunt, um, that's a that's a big deal, and that's that's reason enough that uh, we actually didn't even release a red flash camera because we didn't want to put out a product that uh, that would be at risk of spooking deer. If you want to find out more about Exodus Trail cameras, be sure to visit their website at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And now let's get into this week's podcast with Thomas Hyduke. All right. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Hi, Duke. How you doing today? Doing good. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain. You're probably going to hear my kid, my daughter, running around upstairs. She is in rare form right now. So if you hear a, a little girl scream, just ignore it. Okay? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> All right. So you shot a giant buck. Uh, this past January in 2016 that uh, towards the end of the season and uh, it in the story that goes goes along with it is is pretty cool and another cool thing we haven't really had anybody on from Texas before and I know Texas just like everywhere else has a lot of uh, you know tradition and and hunting uh, down there but it, you know it's completely different than the rest of the than the rest of the United States in a, in its own way. And, uh, just like we had a guy on from Florida this past week, and we're going to get to that story, uh, here pretty soon. But Thomas, before we start talking about this, uh, this deer that you ended up killing, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live and what you do for a living? Right. So, uh, right now I go to school full-time at Texas state and I'm 22 years old. So I'm a full-time student. Those and, were the uh, days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reason I got to get a chance at this buck because on winter break, you know, I had a bunch of free time. So that's what I put it towards. Nice. Nice. So what part of Texas do you live in? Uh, right now in San Marcos. San Marcos. And whereabouts is that? For those that's in between, in between Austin and San Antonio. Okay. All right. Now, is there is that anywhere close to what they call hill country in Texas? So every once in a while, I hear them country, talk about different hill uh, countries in in West Texas. So okay. that's uh, but not really. I hunt more South Texas, which is much of mesquite brush and cactus, everything that wants to sting you. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. So this buck that you uh, ended up taking. I mean, we're going to get into the story. We might as well get into the story right now. But before, you know, how old were you, I guess, when you started hunting? And, and who was it that kind of got you into into hunting itself? Okay. Well, ever since I can remember, my uncle's always owned a ranch. And uh, so I guess he, uh, my uncle and my dad, you know, their brother. So they were always down there taking me down there. And, uh, I, ever since I can remember, I've always been around a ranch doing something. So now is but this, is this a up, cattle ranch? No, it's, it's a full blown hunting ranch. So that's, that's what a lot of people have in Texas. It's just strictly hunting. And, uh, the, we, the property one now is a lease. So the guy who owns it runs cattle on it as well, but. I mean, we just hunt on it, and this is the first place he's had that we've run cattle on. So okay, so growing up uh, down there on on some of your uncle's property when he had a a farm, what what's the style of hunting that uh, that there is now? And maybe you can you know maybe you can tell me it's different. Maybe you can tell me that I'm you know it's accurate. But when it, when I think of Texas, I instantly go to what I see on the TV shows. Okay. Cause that's really my only experience with Texas hunting and that's, you know, high blinds and, you know, with a rifle hunt and they're dumping food on a, on a road. Um, is that kind of how it, how it is down there or is it a little bit different? That's uh, pretty close. I mean, most of the blinds we have are tower blinds or tripods and 
you know, you can bait in Texas. So you're spitting out corn in the mornings and night, or, uh, we have free choice protein, but we don't really hunt over those. But yeah, I mean, mostly tower blinds. Um, I actually ended up shooting this deer out of a ground blind. Okay. So is it, is that from, from what I've seen in some of the pictures, as far as the terrain is concerned, uh, what are we dealing with? You said mesquite and cactus. Is is it real thick and nasty? So like when you're walking, you can't really see any terrain features until you get up into the tower blinds. How, what's the what's the terrain like? Yeah, so it's pretty flat in here, around uh, our area. So I mean, you you don't really have that many uh, features like y'all talk about in the show. You know, like the draws and the saddles and stuff. It's so I really don't know pinch points. Like we don't really have those, uh, but we have sunderos. So it's like cleared out strips of land. We'll call, I guess what y'all would call field edges. Yeah. So like we, we just put the blind on, uh, just sunderos where you can see about four or 500 yards and it's cleared out for another hundred yards. So that's about what we have. Okay. And is that an area that the deer like to congregate? Um, are you guys, do you guys have food plots where, you know, elaborate a little bit on some of the movement from maybe a bed to a food source, uh, type of routine that these deer take. Right. So what we ended up having is the deer kind of start at the back of the property in the morning and they'll kind of work their way towards the front. And that's just what we've noticed. But as far as like, they're kind of just always crossing along, keeping along the side of those senderos and kind of just moving along that way. But, um, as far as congregating, I mean, there's usually corn on the ground if you know, we're out there. So that's what they're congregating towards. Cause it's, that's what you can put out. Okay. So do they have any natural food sources there that they're, that they eat? I mean, is there any like leafy green brush or, or grass or anything natural that they eat or is a main source of their food provided to them by, by humans? I wouldn't say a main source of their foods provided by us. I would say that's a very limited part of their diet. Like we feed bulk protein, but I mean, as far as their diet goes, I don't think that's a main part. That's just a additional protein that they can get. But one of their biggest diets actually is the uh, prickly pears on the cactus. That's one of the things that they ended up eating the most. And you can see that when they start blooming, you'll start seeing bites sticking out of the cactus. You know, that's funny because they have, they have some kind of prickly pear cactus all the way up in Nebraska where I hunted in the sand hills. And I noticed that I, I, it looked like something had taken a bite out of those blooms and now that you mention it, I kind of put two and two together. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a cool food source. Those things smell amazing too, by the way. Yeah. I've never eaten them, but the deer, the deer seem to love them. So we have a, we have one stand that's just kind of covered up in cactus and we ended up seeing a lot of deer out of that stand. So, so how, how big is this ranch that you're hunting on? Uh, it's about 3000 acres. Okay. 3000 acres. Uh, you it's pretty big <laughs> you, and you lease it, right? Yes, sir. My uncle does. Okay. So how many, how many people take part in that 3000 acres? I would say on average, we'll put about four people in stands. Uh, we can fit up to, if we sit two per stand, will fit probably 12, but I mean, that's very rare. Yeah. So, but I mean, as far as this lease is concerned, you know, on your uncle's lease, is there a, just a set number of people who hunt it? I mean, do you guys have any type of management? Uh, nobody shoots a buck under this, you know, this many points or this certain age class. Go ahead and elaborate on that a little bit. Okay. Well, we're kind of a rare situation when we call it a lease because normally a lease is you have a couple different hunters just move on to it and each person has their spot and, you know, get, you get your allotted like one buck, one doe type deal. But, uh, the one we're on is he's actually just bought up all the spots to the, to the lease. So it's just us hunting the, that ranch. 
So you have so a little bit, you have family. a little bit more flexibility as to where you can hunt. And so exactly. there's, there's one big lease and then it's sectioned out as kind of like a sublease area, but your uncle, he bought, he bought all of it up and, uh, and now it's kind of free game for whoever wants to go whenever, right? Correct. Yeah. So whenever we want to go out there and sit in hunting season, it's all his stands, all his deals. So it's, it's, we're really not competing with anyone else. Okay. So what's the, what's the population like on this ranch? He's flown it before and we're averaging probably a deer every 16, 17 acres. Okay. So it's, it's pretty deep. Uh, this year it started to climb more than normal because a couple years ago we had a big drought. And so we thought we had a huge die off because when I walked it, I started finding a bunch of skulls. And, uh, so we got kind of scared and we stopped shooting like does and everything. So we could let the population grow back. But this year it was so bad in does that we just couldn't keep up. So we're kind of overpopulated right now. Right. So, um, and, and like you mentioned in, you know, just, uh, I think you mentioned it in your, uh, in your email you sent to me, but this, is this considered low fence or high fence ranch? It's a low fence ranch. Low, so that's, this would be considered fair chase, correct? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. All right. Now in your area that you hunt, are there other operations? Sim- I mean, similar to yours that are considered high fence uh, one corner of our property is, has a high fence on it and they're, they keep to themselves. They, all their deer are closed in. And then our neighbors to the right of us are low fence and they're a pretty big chunk of land. Okay. And then we have a County road that goes along the other side of us and then, uh, freeway 35. So, I mean, it's almost best case scenario where deer kind of only have one way to get in and out with our neighbors. So we kind of hold a lot of deer right there. Gotcha. So what does, does your uncle or or do you guys have uh, a management strategy as far as, you know, a buck has to be this size or this age in order to harvest it? Oh yes, sir. That's uh he's uh we've been very strict about that. And so we kind of made this agreement a couple of years back on harvesting a lot of these older uh, scrub bucks, we call coal bucks and the eights. So we had a bunch of eight points on the ranch when we came out. That's all we saw. And so we kind of just harvested a bunch of eights. Any, if you were a 10 or above, 10, nine, whatever you were, he walked. But up until that point, we just tried to manage and manage. And then, up and so up until a couple of years back, we were doing that, and now we really started to see the the benefits of that. To where this year we had our best year by far. My cousin shot a one sixty four, and then one of our friends of the company, the, my uncle, shot a one fifty nine. So I mean, and these are six and a half year old deer, right? So we have a great age structure on the place, and we're really seeing big bucks. Well, that's good. That's good. So, so if it's, uh, are, is it like a four and a half type? So you killed or your focus was eight pointers cause you wanted you, your goal was to try to get that genetic out of the herd. Right. Um, and then was there an age class that you, that you were looking for? So, you know, because sometimes eight pointers can turn into 10 pointers on, you know, certain years or they can, turn into bigger bucks, so to speak. Right. I mean, just kind of curious if age class played a role in any of that management. Right. So what we decided is if you were like a four and a half, you know, look, but getting the mature age and you were still just the, you know, scrawny basket eight, that's like, that was not considered desirable. Gotcha. But as far as like harvesting wise for trophies, um, I would say if you shoot a deer under six and a half, it's getting too soon. So okay. six and a half and up is what we consider like 
potential. Okay. So the way this property, uh, the way this property works right now, and you know, with you guys practicing management for a while, do you have a group? Let's say there's four deer, four or five, maybe six deer that are, you know, six, seven years old, maybe or or older. Um, and you you guys have four or five hunters come in. They take that top deer out, you know, that top tier of deer out every year. Are are you guys having a um, that that gap then replenished the next year with the same amount due to your management practices? Yeah, so it's actually worked out really well because we do. I do a lot of like uh, predator control too. So our does have so much cover on the place that they're always giving birth to twins and their birth, their live rate that they make it onto one and a half and two and a half has been really good so far. So we have pretty good age structure on the place to where we're not missing out on a low year, or a bad year. It's pretty consistent as, you know, we have our same, you know, 10% of the population is going to make it to this age. Cause that's, that's pretty much what it is. You know, a wild, deer can only expect to live so long on average right okay so as far as now a little bit on management is concerned and this kind of is a segue into the story of this buck that you killed this year are you guys running a lot of trail cameras to take inventory of what's on the property yeah so i actually we had six trail cams starting this the beginning of this year and we run them from when they start growing velvet in August, I believe. So they start growing velvet in August all the way up until and keep them going to December, January, if we're still hunting. But we're not as hardcore as we are in August. Like, that's when we keep track of, all right, this buck came back. You know, this might be him, you know, deer from past. But so, but <laughs> the trail cams this year were our worst year by far and that we had four of them just start going bad and just stop taking pictures. So it was really frustrating on that end. Okay. So, but you know, instead of this, as far as this year, as far as the overall use of trail cameras are concerned, does that allow you to know maybe what buck is visiting, what feeder or watering hole or, um, do the deer have patterns on this piece or is it kind of uh, Hey, wherever the, the food is at the time. Yeah, they actually do have pretty good patterns. Uh, so my deer considering like just for an example, the one that I shot in 2013, he was like patterned out so much on trail cams that we just got tired of seeing pictures of him, And so he'd always be up to one of the stands or areas we called my blind. And so he went there probably every day during the day. And he was a five and a half year old deer at that time is what we're calling it. Okay. But we have power lines that run through our, run through the front section of the property. And the power line company ended up coming through and replacing all the power poles in the middle of deer season. So oh. they pushed out all of the deer in the front of the ranch and were like chased off most of the deer to the, to our neighbor's place. And so pretty much that season, the front of the ranch just got ruined and the deer have not really migrated back that way yet. So we ended up not seeing, uh, a lot of the deer we had patterned out until like two years later. Okay. So that for, for them going in and, and doing all that work spooked them for a good amount of time. Oh yeah. It, cause we used to have a, a stand that was real hot. Like we'd always go there. We'd fight to see who's going to go there next. And, and we'd see a bunch of deer, but that like ever since the power line poles got put in and cause they kind of have that, uh, that liquid they put on them. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it's got a smell to it. And I guess they just, they didn't really get used to it and they never moved back there. Right. So it's pretty much a dead zone right now. Okay. All right. So 2013, was the first time was was this was 2013 the very first year that you had an encounter with this buck uh trail cam wise yes i don't ever remember seeing him 
uh, on the hoof that year, though. Okay. And I actually never, I didn't see him the next year either. So, but my, so my cousin ended up seeing this deer in 2014. Okay. On the hoof, and uh, for why he was six and a half at the time is what we're calling him. And for why he didn't didn't pull the trigger on him, I'm not sure. No one no one really knows, but he was he was a monster back then too, though. Okay. So in 2000 and in 2013, you only got trail camera pictures of him, right? There was no, right. there was no encounters. Okay. So as a three year or as in 2013, you're thinking he's a, a five-year-old, right? We were thinking he's younger, actually younger. Okay. Cause his body, his body actually really wasn't the size of what other deer were at what we considered that age class. His horns were great, but his back was still pretty arched, you know. He didn't really have big, bri- like a big brisket on him, and his he just didn't have a lot of weight on him like a lot of the other deer did. So we kind of called him younger at the time. Okay. And so I think that was part of the reason why we really didn't pay him much mind. Like we were watching him, but he wasn't really even on our radar quite like that. Okay. Now. No one saw him. No one saw him. But it really wasn't a big deal because no one. You didn't consider him a, a shooter anyway. What? Right. How big do you think his rack was in 2013? Considering I'm looking at the pictures now. Considering he he probably added a little bit of mass. He added a little bit of height and just a little bit of trash on his sides. He was probably still a 160 deer. Okay. In 2013, he was 160. Okay. Yeah. Now, 2014, the 2014 season, your cousin had an encounter with him. Right. And so that picture that I ended up sending you is actually from uh, from his binoculars, and he saw him in the stand, and and I wasn't hunting with him, or I wasn't at the ranch that time, and I and I was for sure that he was like sending us a picture. And then the next picture was going to be him on the ground because when I saw him, I was like, oh man, that's a big deer. Right. Right. And that is a big deer. Um, yeah. Now, uh, best guest, what are you thinking he would have scored as? So, so are we talking at last or 2014 season? He was, uh, he was a five-year-old then. We're saying 2014 he's gonna be six and a half okay six and a half so 2014 you're thinking he's six and a half you thought he was younger in 2014 you know because yeah that'd make him a five-year-old in 2013 2014 he's a six-year-old and uh best guess on his on his uh rack so when i went to go have the deer scored and have him aged the the guy tried telling me that from his teeth he's eight and a half and that he was actually on the downslide downslide of his his horns, and I was like, okay. So I was like, I kind of thought I was like, okay, I have pictures from this year and this year, so that puts him at seven and a half and six and a half. And I was like, it's kind of hard to believe that he's six and a half in 2013. Yeah. So that's that's why I say he's he's seven and a half when I shot him, and six and a half and five and a half. So, but. He so since he says that his horns are on the downslide, and I'm looking at pictures of him in 2014, his G3s do do look like they go a little bit higher. And he's got he didn't have any like he was just a clean clean ten in 2014 with uh, no extra trash on him. So I mean I would say he's probably pretty similar in score. Maybe maybe he pushes 188, but. I don't really see how he can change all too much. Right. Right. It, it, you know, other than the, the main beams coming in just a little bit, it looks like, I mean, it looks like the exact same buck. Yeah. I was like, he, he really didn't change all too much. He got, he got a little bit shorter on his G3, but not much. Okay. So now does this buck, you know, your cousin wasn't able to harvest him. Did you guys, do you guys do a lot of shed hunting? Do you go looking for sheds? Do you, uh, um, do any late season, you know, post season scouting for these deer? Yeah. So when they start losing their horns and they lose them late here, 
when in the south. So I go out about April, May, and uh, I ended up going out 2014 because I knew he was a monster, and I really like no one shot him. He went through the season clean. We knew he was alive still, and so I ended up walking what I thought he lived at most of his area, and I ended up finding. 42 sheds in three days and none of them were him. Yeah. 42 sheds in three days. 42 sheds. Yeah. That you takes me like two or three years to get that. Yeah. So I, I mean, it was a, like, it was one of the best, best weekends I've ever had shed hunting. And it was so much fun. Like I would go in with a pile of horns and throw them on the road and then go back in and I would just come pick them up later. But, uh, everyone was shocked, but, could not find any, you know, real sign of any major bucks. It was just a bunch of, you know, fours and little fives. Right. So is that because there's that many deer on the property or is, is it because they're, um, you, you found them through because no one shed hunted there before? Yeah. The place is so big. Like I kind of section off an area each year that I want to go check out and, you know, it just kind of, pick what I think is going to be good that year and where I think a lot of deer were crossing and traveling. And so, I mean, to cover 3000 acres walking would take me quite a while. So, but the area I picked that year, uh, I walked about 14, 15 miles. And in that time, uh, I would say that's maybe, maybe a third of the ranch. I don't know. Cause I kind of do like, I kind of just piece it out and do like, 20 yards, 20 yards, 20 yards, and keep walking back and forth through it like that. Right. Now, with it being so thick and that all that low-lying brush, does it, is it, I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like you had a problem that day, but on a regular <laughs> year, uh, did you, I mean, is it is it difficult to find sheds? Yeah, so on, on really wet years, when it's like none of the brush is burned off or died down, it's really hard to go out when the the grass is up to your knees and stuff. It's it's almost impossible to find a shed some days like that. Okay. But that that year it was just really super dry and it was just easy to pick them out, you know, 50 yards in front of you and go walk up to them. Right, right. So now that this buck made it through the 2014 season, you went looking for his sheds, couldn't find them. This buck is now, like, is this one of the biggest bucks that you guys were chasing on the property? Were there any deer bigger? Uh, as far as bigger, I'm not sure. Uh, but he was definitely, we definitely knew of him, and everyone was really trying to get a crack at him. And it was a funny story because my cousin, the one that saw him in 2014, ended up seeing him again in 2015 but he already shot his big buck for the year. So he just watched that deer for what must have been 20 minutes just to eat right in front of him. And he thought about shooting him, but he's like, man, there's going to be a bunch of people pissed off me if I shoot a 160 and then a 180. Now, how many deer can you shoot in Texas? So our tag is you get five tags and you can shoot up to, with those five tags, you shot five antlers or three bucks and then two does. So you can shoot quite a few deer, but just on our place, like it's more of like principle that right. you get your one trophy a year. Okay. But as far as the regulations for Texas are concerned, let's say hypothetically I go down or, you know, I go down and I hunt, I can, I can buy five tags. Well, three. you, you just buy a license and okay. you're going to, with that license, you're going to get five deer tags, uh, two mule deer tags, one, three tags for a turkey i believe and um then you get one tag for if you do a super combo one tag for out of slot redfish so okay but so you get quite a few animals okay so you you guys have mule deer down in that area too uh no not not in our area but you can at at points in texas there are mule deer yes okay i got gotcha. you all right so this buck uh i mean the beginning of the season started. Uh, did you get him on trail? Any trail cam pictures of him before the 2015 season started? Did you kind of have an idea 
where he was at, what he was doing? Well, since the trail cam picture in 2013, we never got him on trail cam again. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's be- uh, I think it's because of the power line company and he just moved his whole area. And so what we think he was actually doing is sleep, uh, bedding down in the neighbor's place. And then during the day he would come back to our side and just kind of cruise out over there. Okay. And so he was, he was bedding down at the neighbors. He, uh, was, ju- or was he jumping a fence? It was are are the ranches bordered by fences. Yeah, so it's just a barbed wire fence. That's okay. all that separates them. Gotcha. Now, I'm curious, did anybody have any encounters with him before, you know, through throughout the, the season? I mean, did you go after him with a bow first? Did you, or, or is it strictly rifle hunting on this property? Yeah, no one really bow hunts on our place. We did have a... Uh, a guy that used to hunt our place that used a longbow, but I mean, ever since I can remember, I actually have a bow and I've been real tempted to try and use one on a deer, but I'm just, I'm not, I haven't built up the nerve yet. I got you. Which I, I really, I really do want to try soon because I think that's, that'll be the next step in, in my hunting career. But, uh, everyone's pretty much strictly rifle hunters on our, our ranch. Okay. So, any encounter did anybody have any encounters with him you know when when does the when does the texas season open for rifle it opens early november usually the third or the fourth whatever that first uh first friday is i believe okay and when is when's the rut hit your ranch so our rut usually hits the beginning part of december so it's really late compared to what y'all talk about which is kind of cool to compare and stuff because yeah. y'all talk about having it hit you know september or november october and i was like what that's crazy right right so so i'm sorry i keep i keep interrupting my uh myself with the you know extra <laughs> questions but did anybody have any encounters with him before before you yeah so once my cousin ended up filling his tag for his big trophy buck of the year he ended up seeing this deer again the next that uh after he did the first time in 2015 in december sometime and i wasn't able to go up so he said he's like i saw him again and so my uncle you know he hadn't shot his shot a trophy in a while so he ended up hunting the stand that he saw him out of i think he said seven times and he never showed up again so everyone was really trying to put someone on them to know because we were like this is the year this is the year so but it just it didn't end up working out for him at that time okay so what what uh what month was that that was december when uh they ended up seeing him okay so december you know they they saw him but they they didn't get a chance to close the deal on him uh was he just not did he just not come in close enough or what's the story uh, it's just, they never saw him again. Once my cousin saw him, it's, he was hunting by himself and, you know, he, he didn't want to shoot him because he had already got his trophy, you know? Right. And so my uncle, my uncle was like, okay, uh, I guess I'll take my crack at it. And he ended up hunting that, that area where he saw him a couple times and he just never ended up coming back. So he kind of just moved along. Okay. So then. You know, I take it that, you know, towards the end of December, are are you guys still out there pretty regular, regularly uh, hunting or, you know, the rut kind of goes away and you guys kind of, you know, go back to your, your you know, the rest of your life, so to speak? Or um, are you guys hunting that entire from the time rifle season opens to the time rifle season closes? Are you guys hunting? Yeah, so when it opens November 3rd, we're usually so jacked up to get out there that, you know, it's hard, it's hard to keep us away from it every weekend. Right. So usually every weekend in November, we really try and get out there. And, uh, from December on we're we're pretty much out there until Christmas. And then once the holidays start hitting, it's, it's kind of hard to get up and break away from all those commitments. So 
no one hunted after January 1st and except for me. So I guess that gives you a kind of an explanation on what we kind of follow a pattern of. Right. So what made you this year say, okay, well, I'm going to go back and hunt this property or do you always go back and hunt the property in January? <laughs> it's, I did the same thing last year and I actually really enjoy hunting late season more than any other time of the year because I saw, I see more deer in January than I do in November, December combined. Like it, it just seems like there's a bunch more deer moving on our place. Why do you think that is? Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, maybe it's partially pressure because no one else can make it out after new year's, but, uh, there is in our area, we kind of do have like a little bit of a secondary rut. And I think on that time, that secondary rut where those does that didn't get bred start coming back into heat and it gets a little bit more movement because I saw what I was out there. I saw a couple fights, uh, between some bucks. So do you, is there heavy, heavy pressure or just kind of does do your neighbors hunt similar to the way you guys hunt? Or is there a lot of, like a lot of pressure after everybody leaves your, you know, your guys's ranch, the outside pressure pushes more deer onto your property. Is that, is that a possibility? It could be, but. Our neighbors, the ones that are low fence next to us, really, like, they say they really aren't big deer hunters. So they kind of have no pressure, so they get kind of a sanctuary over there. And then the few times we come down, we're really not, you know, running fours or four-by-fours too hard to, you know, spook them out of there. It's really just us down there on the weekends, you know, when we can get two, three days of hunting in, and then we're in and out and on to the next week and hopefully we can make it back. Gotcha. Do you take any vacation time? Well, I'm at school, so pretty yeah, much that's right. every weekend's a vacation <laughs> for me. So <laughs> That's a dumb question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in your email, you said you hunted, you know, you spent 10 nonstop days hunting in hopes of getting a shot at a mature buck. Now. Yep. You know, you're on your winter break. You're going to the ranch. Are I, do you live close to this ranch to where you can drive back and forth? Is there a lodge on this ranch? Where, I mean, what? Go ahead and just tell us the story from day one of that hunt till the day that you ended up uh, harvesting him. Okay, so I ended up being able to finally make it out to the ranch on January seventh because my December just got packed with things to do. So I actually only got to hunt a couple times in November and I didn't get to hunt December at all. And I was real upset because my brother ended up getting married. So one weekend was his wedding. One weekend was his bachelor party. One weekend was Christmas. And then one weekend was, or one week was finals in school. So my whole December was booked up and I was real upset, you know, but had to go to those important things. Couldn't miss out on that. And so finally, when I was able to break away in January after New Year's, uh, I was, I had all my stuff ready. I was getting ready to go. And, uh, my girlfriend was like, I can't take my dog with me to my family's house. They just, they're staying somewhere. I can't bring the dog. And I'm like, I'm going to my ranch. I can't bring the dog with me. You know, I'm trying to stay scent free as possible. And, uh, so I ended up taking the dog anyway. <laughs> and Packed the dog up in the car, pack all my stuff up in the car, headed down there. And on the way down, I ended up getting a speeding ticket. And I was like, oh, great. What a great start to the week, you know. <laughs> and uh, so once I got there, I was like, whatever. I'm going to forget it all, get out there, and just go have fun. And it was just it was just me and the dog out there for about 10 days straight. So the first morning, I go out. And it's great weather, you know, 32 degrees in the morning, can't complain. I'm seeing a lot of deer, but the deer I'm seeing, you know, they're still young, three and a half year olds, but every buck I'm seeing has like broken off tines because I guess they had a hard rut this year, but no one saw a rut. So I don't know where they were fighting from. 
But so every every big buck I was seeing always had a broken tie, and I was getting a little bit discouraged. But I kept I kept going out every morning, every night, did AM AM hunts and evening hunts, and uh, I, I started doing like I was getting to the point where it's like, all right, I'm I'm getting a deer, I'm getting a deer. So I started doing I go there go to the stand in the morning, and I stay all the way till dark. And so I'm sitting. I did about three all day sits. And during the middle of the day, you see a lot of deer, but it's just, it wasn't anything I was really had my eye on. And, uh, so after a couple of days of seeing deer, but not really getting my chance at anything, uh, January 10th comes around and a coyote comes out and I was like, you know what? They mess with the deer and you know anytime i see a coyote my whitetail hunt turns to a coyote hunt so i ended up shooting that coyote and uh i was like all right well since i shot one i might as well just start calling so as soon as i break out the call two more come out so in that that evening hunt i had uh my first coyote triple but i guess it was called a not a true triple but like a trickle triple is what they call it so that was pretty neat for me. Uh, a lot of excitement. And then I was like, all right, next morning back to hunting. And the next really big mature buck I saw didn't come until about January 12th. And I was hunting a stand that, you know, is pretty famous at our place for producing real mature deer. And, uh, it's this big nine that we've been seeing the past couple of years and he's heavy, he's tall and uh, he's probably at least six and a half is what we're calling him. And uh, he comes out and I was like, oh, you know, he's, he's nice this year. Like he's, he's good, but, and he was walking with a limp. So I was like, you know what? He might not make it this year. So I thought about shooting him. And then as soon as he turned his head, he ended up, breaking off his g2 g3 and then only kept his main beam on his side so i was like ah oh, man i don't know like i kind of so i was like kind of discouraged and i was like i'm not gonna pull the trigger i'm gonna pass on him and so a couple more days go by and i'm i have my laptop with me and i'm going over pictures and kind of just stories from everyone else has told me about you know where they've seen big deer this year and what they've been seeing and so i really just sit down one night and i go okay what are we going to do and so january 13th it was like my big breakthrough it was an evening hunt at the at a stand where they had previously seen that big deer before so i ended up seeing him that hunt or i didn't know at the time it was him but i ended up seeing a huge deer that he was rubbing so he had a tree branch caught in between his horns and so all i saw in the corner of my eye was just this deer with a branch going walking down the sundero and so i didn't get my binoculars on him in time but i just knew i was like man that was a big deer and so i was like you know what i kind of, like he was headed he was about 400 yards out and he was headed a direction and i was like you know what there a lot of deer normally bed down this way so the next morning it was january 14th and i was like i'll do something a little bit different this time i'm not going to hunt in the stands i'm going to switch it up I'm not going to run our four wheelers not going to run corn I'm not going to run anything out there i'm just going to go set up a ground blind where i think he's going and see what happens and so I get there real early in the morning to set up this ground blind about two hours before light and I'm just sitting and waiting and I'm thinking in my head and I was like, did I just like waste a hunt? Cause like no one really ever does this on our place. Everyone pretty much sticks to their stands. So I kind of did the ground blind thing and it comes about eight o'clock in the morning. It's been light for, you know, hour and a half. And I'm like, Oh man, might've just wasted this hunt. And then sure enough, this deer starts walking out. And all I see is a tree branch in, tree branch in these horns. And I go, oh, man, that's him. <laughs> and I like at that point, I didn't pick up binoculars or anything. Uh, like I just knew I was like, this is this is the deer. Like he this is the one. And so 
he was about 70 yards away when I ended up finally taking a shot at him and everything kind of went into slow-mo after that. And it was a good shot. He only went about 20 yards. And so as soon as I made the shot, I must've screamed like a girl because I mean, I was so pumped up and excited. I started, I called my dad, I called my mom and I was like, I just shot a monster buck. I'm like, they're like, they're, like I'm texting like my uncle and my cousin. They're like, they're like, no, you did. No way. No way. And they're like, which one is? I was like the big one. It's the big one. And, um, so like, I kind of like, I didn't want to rush him because like we've had, we've had people at our place, you know, they take the shot and they go run to the deer and there's a huge blood puddle, but they spook the deer and get them going for about a quarter mile, you know? Right. So uh, it like, that was probably the longest 30, 45 minutes I've ever waited in my life just to like get ready to go and like try and see where he went how far he went. And the whole time everyone's texting me like pictures, pictures, pictures. Well, is he, is he down? Where is he? And I'm like, just hold on. <laughs> and so sure enough, I get out there and like, like as soon as I get to the spot where he's standing, I can see him like right there. And I'm just, I'm like, Oh, Thomas, what did you just do? <laughs> and I, I go and I, I just put my hands on this deer's horns and um, it's the biggest deer that I've ever been up close to and that I've ever had the chance of seeing actually. And what really upset me about, <laughs> about this year is I was so dedicated on getting a buck is before this, I used to film every hunt. Like I was going to be like a famous TV hunter. <laughs> like I would go out there and do like, all right, I'm Thomas Hydro cutting on Pierce property. Like, and I filmed every hunt like that. And this year I was like, you know what? I'm not going to bring the camera out. I'm just going to strictly hunt. And it, it worked out because I didn't have to fool with the camera anymore, but hindsight thinking back on it, like it would have been the best experience to be able to, you know, replay that forever. Right. But hey, he's on your but, wall forever. Yeah, he is on the wall forever now. And he's by far the biggest deer I'll probably ever shoot in my life again. Well, never say never, but did you, <laughs> did you know that it was this buck with all the history when you, when you saw him while you were in the blind? No, I didn't. I just, I knew like from his body and his horns and just kind of how he's postured that he was just a mature deer, huge horns. And it wasn't until after I had him on the ground and I was looking at him and I go, you know what? That's, that's this deer from this year. And, and so as soon as I sent pictures, uh, of the buck to a couple people that were coming down that weekend, uh, they go, Oh man, that's him. Yep. You ended up shooting the legend. So nice. So now everyone was, everyone was a little bit jealous, but they're, they were happy of me. That, that's good. Now I got a question for you. Is this buck hanging on the wall of your, I don't know if you live in a dorm or an apartment at college, but is this, is this buck in that, in that apartment or house? It will be. Okay. Um, so I just shot him in January and the turnaround down here is pretty slow. So I probably won't get him back until, uh, this coming deer season, but I know when I get him back, it's going to bring back all those, you know, emotions and just. I was so excited. And so that every time I get to look at him after that, like I, I stare, I probably think about this deer once, twice a day. Like it's just, it's been the best thing. Yeah. And that's awesome. I was, I was more concerned about throwing a wild party and then knocking his, knocking the mount off the wall <laughs> and breaking it. Yeah, no, he won't, he won't go in the living room. He'll go in my room. So, okay, good, good. Yeah. Well, so, so now that, you know, this, this buck is, you mentioned you're going to, you would like to try bow hunting or, you know, you shot this giant, um, what's in store for this upcoming season? Uh, I guess my girlfriend shot her first buck this year as well. And before this year, I'd only shot really one trophy buck and it was, the first year I ever harvested was a, you know, really wide eight point, 
had about a 24 inch spread, but he didn't score too well. He only scored about 124. And so um, my girlfriend ended up shooting deer that scored 132. And so she ended up saying how like, oh, I've shot a bigger deer than Thomas. I've shot a bigger deer than Thomas. And that's how she introduced that deer the whole time. And I was like, just wait, just wait. So, um, but she's really getting into hunting now. And I find so much joy in like taking other people out to hunt and them harvesting animals too. Like almost more than me shooting something. Right. Right. So I, I really want to like keep her out there and I want to get back into filming like everything. Cause I, I've made like, you know, a couple little DVDs and messed around with that. But that was when I was younger and had a bunch of free time. But now I, w- I want to get back into that and keep up with that trend, okay. you know, so I can look back and see what I, we had. What about, uh, what about bow hunting? Are you gonna, are you really going to try and do it? I think I've shot, I've shot a turkey with my bow and then I've shot a couple hogs. Uh, nothing real serious, you know, uh, that, that was when I was, you know, really trying to get into it. But our, our ranch really isn't set up for, you know, bow hunting. So, but I think if I do try it, I not to say that a doe is any less than a buck, but I would probably try to harvest a doe before I would try and harvest a buck. Right. Watch out, man. But I, I do, addicting. I do want to get into it. Yeah. Right. When I, when I, when I picked up my bow the first time, uh, I probably didn't put it down until I finally got out to the ranch and they're like, what'd you, what'd you bring that stick out here for? You know? <laughs> and so bow hunting really doesn't have a good rap on our place. Well, good luck with that. And, uh, congratulations, congratulations on this buck. It's an absolute giant. And, uh, last question is how much did you, you happen to know how much that buck weighed? Yeah. Uh, so he was actually real narrow in the back end. So which kind of let the, let the guy think that he was getting up there in age, but he weighed about 205 to 10. Well, that's not as bad as and, I thought it was. Yeah. But, uh, we really don't have, you know, large body deer in Texas Yep, compared to what y'all say, you know, like 300 pound bodies on y'all's, but we kind of have just littler body deer, but we have big horns to make up for it. That's a fact. And, and with those little bodies and those big horns, it even makes your deer look yeah, extra big. Exactly. So, well, I tell you what, Thomas, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, spending some time telling your story. Hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day for this. And that brings us to an end of today's podcast. I want to thank Thomas big time for coming on the show and uh, telling us his story. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and, uh, I guess, listening uh, to uh, a guy like me talk and to others who tell their stories and and to the Gear Podcast. And uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I've started a new series, and that is the product review series. Now, what I want is I want your guys' opinions on products that you've purchased. Now, let's say you have a product and you're blown away by it. I want you, I want you on the show to tell me about why that product blew you away and you love it and and all the good things about it. Now, on the other hand, let's say you bought a product. It underperformed and uh, it just did not live up to the expectations that were set by you or maybe by the marketing companies who uh, represent it. Uh, let's. Long story short, it failed. I want to hear those as well. So I don't want this to turn into just a bitch fest of a thousand different products that you know ruin somebody's life. But I want to hear the good and the bad about products, and I want this to be honest reviews from honest hunters or people who use the products uh, and to give as much information to the end users as humanly possible. So if you are interested and you want to tell your story about a product uh, that you liked or disliked, uh, hit me up on ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. Let me know if you want to be a part of this podcast and then also let me know what product that uh, you want to review. 
Other than that, I hope everybody has a great rest of your week. And remember to wear your damn safety harness.